0: You are listening to the Gentleman's Law Podcast. Listener beware. Rise and shine, the liquor store is open. I ain't got time for moping.
1: I best be on my way. Well, I still got time to save my reputation.
0: Time to go. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Gentleman's Cough Law Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Crowder. Uh, this is the podcast for the Rebel and the Renaissance Man, by the way, just get that out of there. Um, co-hosting with me, you, as usual, is the Don, Donovan Fowler. And uh, we've got uh, another uh, kind of regular guest host of the show. We've got the Lady Scofflaw uh, joining us. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Doing good. Also, you're doing good. Mm-hmm. You're doing good. Let's we're start we're doing, off doing good. with a little hmm. bit of housekeeping. Uh, what are you guys? Uh, what are you guys drinking there?
2: Well, I'm. I'm. Uh, you know what? Ladies first.
3: Oh wow! Thanks. <laughs> I'm drinking a um, an old fashioned that Jordan made me. Isn't that what this is? It is. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Oh, it looks you should great. see it the glass, I'm, I'm the going cherry. to be
0: honest, I kind of
2: eyeballed it. I didn't measure it out this time.
3: Oh, wow.
2: <laughs>
0: some say some
2: some <laughs> might may some may say that that's that's the best yeah, uh, way to make an old fashioned. I don't know.
3: Well, it tastes great, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there we
2: go. cuz I put a the lot of alcohol
3: in it. Oh great. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: uh, but we've got what we got here, Donovan.
2: Uh, we, we are drinking Centuri Japanese Centuri. whiskey. There we go. Cheers. We all we're in oh, uh, um, let's see some <laughs> Glen karn glasses Glen karn. and uh yeah i uh i've had this on occasion before and it's it's a good whiskey
0: and you gave this to me for my birthday
2: i did which i've only had a little
0: bit of so far we're kind of this is the first yeah, time i, we both I gave this to you it.
2: outside yeah, it was a very belated birthday gift i think I, like you, you, you your birthday's in september mm-hmm. yeah and i think i gave this to you in like December <laughs> which is like exactly my style this like is kind of how we both sister, give each other birthday gifts my sister's gifts. birthday was in January Yum. and I still have her birthday gift rolling around the back of my trunk <laughs> so. I do the same
3: thing I have thank you cards from yeah. like a year ago It's uh, <laughs> uh, don't around. work anymore but
2: yes this whiskey is very good and uh, we were just talking about how it has uh, it, it seems like uh, it's a bit of a cousin to Irish whiskey and it also has some floral notes to it yeah yeah, very sweet. It definitely makes me
0: think of. It's still a little more scotchy and peaty than Irish whiskey, but it's got a floralness. You know, want to try there? Just you say it's peaty. Softball. I get that. Like, there's yeah. a burnt, burned. I wonder. Smoky I wonder if they. they I
2: wonder if they do it in. Um, I wonder how they. How, what What the deal is? I wonder if they have barrels like steel barrels or oak mm. barrels. Who knows? I, I should do some knows. research. Yeah, should call Bill Murray. Yeah, <laughs>
0: whenever I hear Santori, I think of Bill Murray and Lost in Translation doing that commercial. Still have to watch that movie. Yeah. You haven't seen it. Yeah, we'll do Nobody here has we'll seen Lost, Lost in interview. Translation. <laughs> one of my favorites. All right, um, you know, uh, let's go. Oh, by the way, later on on the show, we're going to have Chad Roby show on. He's show. Uh, That's such a
2: great name. He,
0: it is a good name. And the thing is, I. Think that's the right way to say it, right? I don't know. We'll talk to him later and see. Yeah, but I've seen a lot of interviewers, and and he's been on shows before where they say Robichaud. No, Robichaud, Robichaud,
2: just sounds better. It's like Rochambeau, <laughs> <laughs> Rochambeau. Mm-hmm. I'm Rochambeau. sure he's got that all
0: his life. But he's a MMA fighter, our former MMA fighter, also former uh, special ops uh, marine. Nice. Um, has a great uh, foundation that uh, deals with. Uh, veterans, and also uh, current soldiers dealing with PTSD. So it'll be fun to talk to him. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. Um, have you guys heard of this thing going around uh, called, and I i don't know if I've made it up or not. I'm going to be honest. Okay. Oh, crap. I don't have my phone. Um, but it's called.
2: <laughs> what century are you living in? I'm calling it the memoir title challenge. So, so I think <laughs> you explained this to me, and I didn't really understand what it was.
0: You didn't hear about this? I so, mean,
2: you told me about it, but I just didn't understand it. So explain it to, all me. Right. Explain so, it to both ladies, The
0: idea is you create a text like a like you're writing a text message on your phone and you type the first words, I am
3: okay. on it.
0: And then you know how I don't know what it's like on an Android, but on an iPhone it gives you predictive words that you could click and you basically <laughs> make a sentence with those words. Okay just by clicking through them and then that's your memoir title.
2: Let's see if it works oh. on an Android.
0: Yeah, let's see and uh, you guys t- get it up and look and I'll grab my phone here in a second. but to yeah. be
2: careful. <laughs> <And so laughs> who, the reason
3: it I... would be different is because between different people we have like yeah it'll do words we tend to use a lot. Yeah okay.'ll
0: do that's the idea is that I guess it you know your phone it's kind of terrifying um, you know picks up on the words you use most.:
3: So there's three choices though every time.
0: Yeah, so you just have to pick them until like makes a
3: sentence. Oh. Yeah,
2: so you'll click it and then... Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> is, all right, what is... This is becoming very interesting. Wait, right. How Let's, do I know when to stop?
0: Uh, until it makes, a, I guess, like a complete sentence or title.
3: Okay, I've got a short one already. So okay. you tell me if you think I should keep going or if this is a, a title enough. Okay,
0: so Lady Scofflaw's memoir title, her autobiography...
3: Is, I am sorry, y'all. <laughs> that sounds that
0: sounds like uh like uh like the 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 memoir of pauldine <laughs>
3: I just picked the words that were in the middle. So I am sorry came up right away. So that's I guess I funny. must be sorry a lot. And then, of course, y'all was naturally next. Let, I don't think I've typed that sentence before. I'll let uh,
2: Donovan read his. I article. don't think it works with the Android because I got, I am so happy that you are, is a little bit of time with my son in the world. In world in the world, is it okay to be the best way of getting to know each other?
3: It's, a t- it's supposed to be a title, right? <laughs> not,
2: that that was, not, well, I mean. You know, not a title. I don't know.
3: You should have start. Stopped with, I am so happy.
2: I am so happy that you are, is a little bit of time with my son. we we'll right. go
0: with that. I'm going to do mine here. And clicking through them, the autobiography of Jordan Crowder is, I am so glad I did this.
3: Okay. That's like a. That's right. legit. Actually. Yeah, it's like our normal one.
0: I'm totally. totally. I <laughs> could see. I could see. Well, a black so was, and, I'm sorry, y'all.
2: I could see the black and white photo of you and. Lazy on your wedding day. <laughs> you and Lady Scaffle on your wedding day. And uh, I could see that title Jordan Crowder's autobiography or autobiography <laughs> of Jordan Crowder. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, there
3: you go. Just uh, trying to earn brownie points. Scroll,
0: yeah, hey, It's <laughs> a good
2: photo. Yeah, It's a good title it's a good photo. Good okay? title, good photo. Print. Write me a book. Thank
0: you. <laughs> I'll pitch it. I'll pitch it to a Penguin. That? they don't pr- You'll pitch do it to a Penguin. I don't know.
2: You'll just find a penguin and pitch (laughs) it
0: Guys, if you guys do this challenge, uh, please tweet at us or message us. Um, Let us know what your idol biography is. uh, It'll be fun to see what those are. Yeah. Um, I got this literally like seconds before the show, before putting together the show, a little news story here, which uh, I thought was pretty hilarious. I'll read it to you guys. The headline that popped up was called Family Finds pool-crashing neighbors were actually baboons. Oh, wow.
3: Huh. There's a lot of questions. So,
0: okay, okay. I'll, I'll read this article here. It says, A South African family who suspected rude neighbors were trespassing in their backyard pool set up a security camera that identifies the culprits, local baboons. The Marloth Park Ella El- Elon Zenny owner, don't I don't hurt. know what that place don't, is. Hurt hurt Elon <laughs> Zenny? Zenny, homeowner, said he and his wife started noticing that uh, when they would come home from work, it appeared someone had been using their pool. We installed security camera because every time we came back from work, one can see that someone was swimming. Because our property is not fenced off, we first thought that our neighbors were using it without permission those bastards. Um there's some footage here of literally just uh, baboons jumping into their pool and hanging out here. Well, I should bring Ow. that down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> broken.
0: I don't know. I feel like some neighbors would be worse than baboons.
2: I don't want a baboon in my pool. No.
0: I just
3: want to see like what it looked like afterwards. That they didn't think it was baboons. Like I guess it wasn't trash. It just <laughs> looks like not even
2: yeah, like, like trash or anything. Like that particular uh, shot, it's like they just ran. Like they they all didn't even get in the pool. Like just one of them got in the pool. Yeah. and and he got out. Must have been because of that alarm that I am now deaf from. But <laughs> do their feet I, uh, look like
3: human? Like would yeah, they, making they
2: would be. They would be. I guess there wouldn't be yeah, human would feet. Probably there would be would. like hands, like human hands, I think.
0: I don't know. It's yeah. crazy that there would be, like, they're just hanging out, swimming, playing, like, as if they were that Baboons are the moon.
2: dangerous. They'll are they? rip your face off. Oh, my gosh. Really? Isn't that just all monkeys? Yeah, pretty much. Don't mess. <laughs> a message to our listeners don't mess with monkeys Never do miss. not have them as pets
3: so where and do they live again this family south of? africa oh, okay south africa. i forgot okay yeah. that makes sense
0: yeah it's, it's kind of crazy i don't know i guess we have the equivalent here would be like uh, parrots we have on our <laughs> yeah. we have parrots yeah. on our on our oh, uh, yeah, yeah. electrical
2: well, cord outside parrots there is a parrot issue in southern california they live for 100 years and they are all over the place. And apparently, they
0: can survive here and procreate because that Pasadena aviary like broke, like burned down, like what in the '60s, and we still got Something parrots like that. Yeah,
3: and peacocks, <laughs> peacocks in too, and
2: peacocks.
0: Yeah, which is really it's weird. awesome. But they wake you up like it's you know like 5 a.m. The parrots on our lawn. You look out and they're just sitting there hanging out, just it's fun. making noise. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> very,
0: very pretty rude. annoying, pretty obnoxious. All right, let's go to a quick little segment we like to call. Listener
1: Mail.
0: All right. Um, this one comes uh, from Instagram, Donovan. You want to read that first one? I will do my best. Sorry, we we need we need like
2: more screens in
0: here, I think, right? Or you guys can just each have it. open okay. on your I, phone.
2: I, <laughs> I like to share. It makes it <laughs> right. nice and intimate. Um, okay, so we have... Uh, an Instagram user named Patrick P. Larson. I think, unless it's Patrick Larson, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Patrick P. Larson. I like you all, but why do you always look so damn tired? <laughs> oh, man. <It's> uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I no, don't know. It's an interesting well, question. To answer your question, it's probably because we are damn tired most of the time. <laughs> it's true. Jordan and I work hard, and we play hard. <laughs> and we, we play hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. And you
3: guys both Moonlight as superheroes, right? Yeah, this exactly. is true. It, happens, yeah, I, yeah.
2: it starts uh, yeah. to Jordan, Jordan's <laughs> parrot man, and I'm I'm baboon yeah. man. The
0: parrots wake me up at 5 a.m. in
2: the morning. That's B- true.
0: But uh, this comment was on our picture of our live panel from the big shave, Swest. which. Oh.
2: Well, to be fair, to be fair, we had just come out of like a situation of being stuck in the desert and we had been dry we had been on the road what for like almost twelve hours at yeah. that point. It was supposed to be like a six hour trip. Yeah, that was insane. So yep. our trip doubled and that's why we look so damn tired. But that being said, I I ain't got no problem with that. If you ain't looking <laughs> tired, then you ain't doing something right. <laughs> Yes.
0: Good. Yes. Uh, Patrick, if you got some tips, maybe maybe you got some creams or something you yeah, use actually, that would help us. Uh, just uh, not
3: look tired. Maybe, Feeling maybe here, you know just what? Not this look tired.
2: this yeah. might be a good idea. We get like Tanner Guzzy on or somebody who actually knows what they're doing, and we ask him about anti-aging creams for men or something like you know, that. Skin care for men.
0: Doctor Kirby from All Big right. Brother. He's a celebrity dermatologist. Oh, okay. I'll give him a call and see if he'll give <laughs> us some tips. You
3: said that like we were, yeah. You're yeah. like
2: from Big like Brother. Like, no, jeez.
3: He's, he's great though. I know he's, he's a
0: funny I guy. me. I'm sure he'll have. He, he's like what 50 and he looks like a baby.
2: But how he's much gotta what, be doing? How much something. plastic surgery has he had? I don't know.
0: I think he started young, and I think that's the key. <laughs> oh boy. All
2: right. Well, I just need to know what face wash I use. That's all. That's Yum. that's all I want.
0: All right. Um. Uh, I'm gonna read this little iTunes review since Lady Scofflaw can't see it from where she's sitting. Unless you want to come over here and read it.
3: But then how I how do I talk? I talk oh, that's in your a good mic. Point.
0: Yeah, I just yeah, talk, I talk in my yeah. mic. You want to read it? Yeah.
2: This is uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen. This is unprecedented. Just Jordan is handing his mic over to Lady Scofflaw. All right. Oh my gosh.
3: What a great narrator. Okay. Um, this is one. Yes. Casu- the title is "Casual Setup, Comma Wild Fun." By God's Lab Rat. There's no telling where the conversation will go with this crew, witty yet irreverent, and with a wild assortment of topics, this is a great podcast for a long road trip.
2: Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Yeah, If your road trip happens to extend from six hours to 12 hours, you better turn us on. Yeah. Yeah, especially if it's a 12-hour road trip.
0: Surprisingly (laughs) enough, we didn't listen to any podcasts on our road trip.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's true we didn't listen to any podcasts on the road trip but I think it was because we were stressed out like half the time and we didn't need to hear some jerk, <laughs> jerk telling us about Audible or or you know some dollar shave club business.
3: Did you guys tell that story yet? Has anyone heard that story? Yeah, we told it on oh, the last one,
2: okay. okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: I should listen. It yeah. was a fun
0: trip though. <laughs> that, I mean,
2: for all the stress that we accrued on that trip, it was it was a great trip.
0: It was a pretty good. I'm trip. about to I'm make some that, good People, I,
2: believe it or not, I'm about to make that road trip again, like next weekend. Really? Yeah, me and my little brother and my uh, dad out in Phoenix. So What's we'll that? see. Oh. We'll see if the car decides to uh, surprise me like it did this last time around. Um, uh, I don't know. I like Phoenix. I would move there. Yeah, it's a nice, <laughs> nice place. It's <laughs> yeah, a nice place. It's a nice place until you watch Sicario, and then you realize everything in that movie happens in Phoenix.
0: Really? What happens in Sicario?
2: just like lots of terrible cartel stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. That all happens
2: in Phoenix? I mean, probably. <laughs> it's a fictional movie. So I don't this know. This why we need a fact I don't know checker. For sure.
0: It's <laughs> just like any, any
3: desert cities. Yeah. <laughs> any desert Breaking cities. Bad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Breaking Bad and Phoenix. Breaking
0: yeah, Bad and Phoenix. I think right. they tried to shoot Breaking Bad in Phoenix, but they didn't offer any, uh, uh, tax, at least at the time, tax, any tax, tax. Uh, yeah. so uh, they, refunds oh, at the time for well, it's that. So they said, screw in you, we're going to
2: New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. It was
0: I get them from confused New Mexico. I get uh, New Mexico and Arizona confused sometimes though.
2: I I always <laughs> think of New Mexico as being rockier. Like it's it's almost <laughs> like there are like there are more like big rocks and 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 stuff. Like it's a rockier desert. Whereas Arizona I always think is a little bit more red sand. I don't know.
3: Yeah, and they have the tea and the jeans. So yeah, just remember both of those things—the
2: T and the jeans, the T and the jeans—and they've yeah.
0: got those little, those three-prong oh, cactuses you see in all I the cartoons. Joke. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: I just got, which we saw the 3 pronged cactus, yeah, as we drove. You were like, "There are a lot of cactus out here." I was yeah, like, "Cacti, yeah, cacti," and <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, it's Arizona." Arizona. Arizona, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Arizona.
0: Arizona is your bet. That's pretty good, Sam Elliott. <laughs>
2: oh, I wasn't even trying. Um, well, maybe you should. <laughs> that's get- just that's yeah. just my inner dialogue taking over. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> your inner
0: dialogue is Sam Elliott. Yeah, as the Marlboro man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, yeah. let's go take a take a little quick break, and we'll be back with Chad Robichaud, Um and uh, we'll talk to him. Now this segment is brought to you by audible.com. Now for those of you who already listen to podcasts, you probably already know about audible.com and maybe you've tried it or maybe you haven't, but here's a good opportunity for you to try audible.com for free and help support the Gentlemen's Law podcast. So if you go to audibletrial.com/gentscofflaw, you could sign up for a whole month for free, get your free audiobook and uh, that, that helps support us. That affiliate link helps support the show. So if you like listening to podcasts, you probably uh, you probably like listening to audiobooks. It's pretty much the same thing, except, you know, probably something a little bit smarter and, and a little more life-affirming uh, than uh, what you listen to on the Gentleman's Golf Club podcast. Sorry, um, <laughs> but you can listen to all sorts of books. I recommend... Uh, the Art of Maleness by Brett McKay. Uh you can you can get that for free as as your, as your free trial. You can really download any book you want to on there. So, go to audibletrialcom scofflaw. There are tens of thousands of titles. I mean, why not uh, why not get some knowledge in you, right? Right? I mean, I mean, if you're, you know, you're driving driving to work, you know, why get mad in traffic? Why do that, right? Why why not just listen to something that fills your brain, you know, fills your brain and your soul. Or you know, uh, maybe you're you're mowing the lawn, right? that's not fun to do. Mowing the lawn's not fun at all, right? But if you're if you're listening to an audiobook, you're like, "Ah, oh, this is not not so bad. I can do this. At least I'm uh, at least I'm learning something or at least I'm being entertained, right? So, you know, audibletrial.com/jenscofflaw and uh, sign up today and uh you know tweet at us let us know what book you get because uh, i'm always always looking for new uh, book recommendations all right now back to the show All right. I'm excited to have uh, this guest. Um, He is a uh, former special operations in the Marines and uh, also an MMA fighter. You might have seen him on his recent uh, I am second uh, white chair interview. Um, And he's also the president of the the Mighty Oaks Foundation, uh, Chad Robichaux. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: No, super pumped to be on.
0: Thank you. Yeah, man, you, you've got an impressive list of, uh, 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 uh impressive resume. <laughs> I didn't know what, what I was doing with my show notes. I was like, man, there's so much stuff to cover. Are we going to have enough time for this? <laughs> we
4: can do a, a part one and two if you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, For our,
0: our, our listeners that don't, that don't know you, uh, I'd love to give them just a little bit of background of, uh, you know, where, where you got started and where where you're coming from.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, military is a big part of my life. Uh, I'm from a three generation Marine Corps family and, uh, my father was a Marine in Vietnam. Uh, I was I was a Marine and uh, I was a force Shukansist Marine who served uh in Afghanistan. And then my son Hunter is a Marine right now and he's actually in Afghanistan right now. Oh wow. and so, uh, yeah, so we're super proud of him. Also, you know, I get the this side of it being a dad this time. Yeah. But uh yeah, so just a military family and uh and I I joined the Marine Corps when I was seventeen years old and uh had a pretty rough childhood uh growing up with a a, a Vietnam veteran father and and a lot of who faced a lot of the same thing military guys face today in you know, my childhood was was uh, not the funnest to you know, angry, angry dad, lots of physical abuse in my home, alcohol, things like that. And so uh, the Marine Corps for me was really a second chance at life, kind of a fresh start uh, to really escape that that lifestyle and uh and move on. But right before I joined the Marine Corps, when I was I'd say right before, but when I was 14 and, and my older brother was 15 years old. We were really close because of the that's kind of stuff we went, went through and the physical abuse and stuff. And we had joined, planned to join the military together and um, he was tragically shot and killed. Oh. And so, yeah, that was like, as a teenager, that was just so hard, but it made me just go into isolation and, and focus on preparing for the military. So it truly was the Marine Corps was a brand new chance of life for me. And I totally embraced it. I want to be a reconnaissance Marine uh, because I want to do some kind of special operations in the military. I love to swim. I grew up in Southern Louisiana. I love to get outdoors and that type of thing. And so it was a perfect, for me, and uh, and that first year in the marine corps, I tried out and made it in, and uh, it wasn't a wartime like it is now. So, 1993 is when I went in, and so lots of schools and training, and all dressed up and no place to go kind of <laughs> mentality. So, that first four years in the marine corps was just really learning how to do that job, and then I I got married during that time, had my first son, Hunter, the one that's in Afghanistan. And we, my wife and I decided to switch to the Marine Corps Reserves, go to college and then go back in as an officer. And uh, so we moved to New Orleans, Louisiana. And during that time, I uh, I needed a job because I was married and had a kid. And so uh, while well, I was going to college, so I became a, New Orleans, a police officer, actually a sheriff's deputy in the St. Charles Sheriff's department, which is right in New Orleans area. And, uh, yeah, so that did some time as, as a police officer there. And then, uh, after nine 11 is when I went back to the military, I'm back full time.
0: Um, that seems to be a lot of, uh, we've had a a lot of, uh, uh, former military on our show and they just, a lot of them say that when nine 11 happened, that's when we, when we, when I signed up or when I decided to go back in, it, it seems to be, uh, to be a common thread.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I remember my wife and I were, we were watching on television and, you know, I'm sure you remember, and a lot of people listening, we remember just watching those planes crashing into those buildings. I was at, I was a reservist, but I was at Third Force Recon Company and uh, a very, uh, very seasoned group of people there. And I, I knew like, you know, my life's about to be different and uh, everyone Everyone immediately went back to the unit. People were coming up, up for reserve duty, back on active duty. Uh, it took me a while before I deployed, and uh, I tried out for every deployment I could. And In and, uh, 2003, I tried out for a, a JSOC, which is Joint Special Operations Command Task Force, and I was accepted. went the task force, and I got what I asked for. I got uh, over a period of several years. I got uh, did eight rapid deployments to Afghanistan and uh, absolutely loved my job, loved the unit I was with. And uh, I would have said I was really prepared uh, when I went. Uh, however, you know, the, the cumulative stresses of dealing with the things that we dealt with and, and just doing the job eventually caught up with me uh, I, I had a very unique job because i didn't live like on a base or anything i, I was a uh, I did kind of advanced force logistical operations for my unit so i go out and one or two other guys working with local nationals local afghans and really prepare operations and so i had a unique experience of living off base being integrated with the afghan community and some of my perspectives like changed really early on at first when i went to afghanistan i thought You know, I'm going to accept the patriotism, retaliate for 9 11. But really quickly, living with the Afghan families, eating dinner in their homes, playing soccer with their kids, and hearing their stories of like who the enemy really was, who the Taliban was, and the horrific things that the Taliban had done to these people and the oppression these people lived under. I just began to really hate the Taliban, uh, the people I worked with. Particularly to Afghans, like hated the Taliban, and and so this like drivenness kind of came over me, this real passion, and and it worked really well in Afghanistan. You know, me and me and uh, all the members of my team, and particularly Afghans, had this like just real passion and drivenness, and uh, that kind of intensity operated really worked really well operating in Afghanistan. But I began to notice when I come home, you know, immediately noticed when I came home that it just didn't work at home. Like it wasn't a light switch I could flip and and be like, you know, husband and father and Mr. Rogers, like the friendly neighbor. Like I was still, <laughs> I was still some a- angry, intense dude. And, uh, and my wife and children, I'm always ashamed to say, but it's just the truth. Like my wife and children, they were terrified of me and I would throw temper tantrums and break things and scream at them. And anytime I didn't get my way and, and, uh, you know, behave like a 15 year old child, you know, like just throwing fits and, and, uh, my family had to endure that. One of the stories I remember most that kind of clearest recollection of when I was aware that I was behaving this way was, came home from uh, Afghanistan and I was going to be there for my daughter's birthday party. And she was like really excited. She moved to date and my daughter's like really opinionated. She's just, like, that's her personality. And uh, so she, just, she didn't like the icing on her cake and, and she said it out loud. And something about that just like set me off. And I remember like, I just grabbed a handful of my little girl's birthday cake in front of everyone and threw her cake against the wall and destroyed her birthday. Oh, wow. I remember like thinking in that moment, like what kind of person, like what kind of dad does something like that, you know? And uh, that's just how I was behaving and recognizing like the like my behaviors, instead of like stopping it, I just thought the smartest thing for me to do is just kind of isolate myself. And uh, And so it's much easier to be in Afghanistan or between deployments, going to schools, training workups, just stay busy. And, uh, really just kind of hide from my family. And and that's really what I did. And, uh, over time, those, uh, the anger started to turn into these like physiological symptoms, uh, that I later w- would know that was, you know, stress and anxiety. I didn't know at the time, but like my arms would go numb, my face would go numb. I feel like my throat was swelling shut and I couldn't breathe. Sometimes I feel like I had like a thousand pounds on my chest. And, uh, you know, now I know these are signs of panic attacks, and, uh, but uh-huh. at the time I just thought, man, like I didn't want to tell anybody I was dealing with this because if I would have told people on my team, this little special operations group that they, those guys would have thought I was weak
1: uh-huh. and,
4: uh, and maybe not even be able to do my job anymore. And so I just tried to push it down and and keep pressing forward, doing my job. And uh, eventually those symptoms kind of got worse, I started uh, having almost like these, uh, moments my body felt like it would just stop working. And then there was, I have these almost like, where my body felt like it was out of like the physical presence of my body. Like I felt like I was like, uh, like mentally removed from my physical body and oh, it was wow. very weird feeling. And then, uh, and then I started forgetting things and I'd wake up like out of a fog and, and we had some really bad things happen. I had a, a group of Afghans that worked for me, these 10 Afghans and they were, uh, they were killed and they were, you know, a lot of people would hear that and think, well, they're, you know, they're Afghans, you know, they're not fellow Marines, but like, I, I like lived through these guys for like three years. These guys were my brothers. Like they would have yeah. died for me I would have died for them. They were like my boys, And, uh, and I was responsible for them. And, and from that moment, like just things started getting worse and worse and worse. And, uh, and I had this moment to where I just had this like imminent sense of doom. Um, I, I recognize it now. Like I started writing not like, not like, uh, what if you die notes, yeah. but like, like I'm writing goodbye notes to my wife, my all my children individually, putting them in the lid of my suitcase so my you know my personal effects will go home, make it home. And I go into operation and I come back, live, uh, survive, obviously, and take those notes and throw them away so no one find them. And I do it again the next time I go out. And so I had this real imminent sense of doom. And and I went on this operation uh, for about two weeks and I came, I, I came like out of like snapped out of a fog and realized I didn't remember a lot of what was going on. And I I recognized that I was not only putting myself in danger, but putting other people in danger as well. And that was the kind of cue to me that I need to speak up and say something. And when I did, I was uh, just I suspected I was brought home and I was put before a clinical psychologist and given this diagnosis of PTSD. And honestly, I didn't even know what that was at the time. Uh, It was very, very yeah, blindsiding for me.
0: Yeah, it seems like I mean, uh, obvious that it's that that's a a common thing that guides deal with when they come back, um, and I mean you've we could talk more about the foundation you, you've set up to 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 uh, you know help our servicemen coming back dealing with that um i I always wonder when i because when you hear that this is you know so prevalent it makes you wonder like is there something that and this is just me question just uh you know just spitballing questioning is there something that maybe might be outdated in the way that we train our military or something that that could be done on the front end to help prevent that from happening? Or, I mean, maybe your foundation, that's the answer is, is, is integrating people back into, uh, you know, normal society. It's, it just seems like it's, it's a common, you know, really common problem.
4: No, I mean, at our foundation, we actually do two things. We have two yeah. fronts that we fight on. One is the recovery side for guys who ended up where I ended up. And I'll talk more about that. But the other is exactly what you said the preventative this. We call it resiliency. And I, I speak, I've spoken to about 100, 110,000 active duty troops on resiliency. I go to oh, Marine right. Corps, Marine Corps boot camp every quarter. The Marine Corps lets me go speak to these recruits at boot camp, usually about 3,000 of them at a time. Wow. And talking that's awesome. about resiliency. I think the missing piece is, uh, you know, is the understanding of what resiliency is, how to be prepared for not just combat, but for life. And I think there's some missing pieces fundamentally in our culture that, uh, you know, we're, we're not prepared for life. And when hardships hits us, when tra- traumatic events hit us or, or life goes sideways, we're not prepared to deal with it. And, and I, I look at my life and and uh, before Afghanistan and, yeah, I've seen some t- some terrible things in Afghanistan, but I was definitely I definitely had a predisposition to end up where I ended up. I had things that I'd never dealt with in my life before, and now you throw combat on top of it, and uh, and you know the wheels fell off for me, and you know now I find myself sitting across from a, a clinical counselor who says I had PTSD, and 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 to, to explain the state I was in is like I was dealing with two things. One, I felt like I was physically going to die. Uh, I don't really, I've, I've really struggled with how to explain how how I felt, and I've really, I feel like recently I've been able to. Capture it by saying this. Like if you were like like your ankle was handcuffed to the drain of a pool. Yeah. And like the water, you know, you're like a, a foot below the surface and you're trying to get air, and you're drowning.
1: Oh wow.
4: And that's the level of desperation you would be just to get a breath of air, but you never die. Like you're there 24-7. Wow. That's that's how I felt. Like I felt like like I would like my body was dying, but it just wouldn't stop. Like the panic wouldn't stop. And and then on top of that, I felt I felt completely ashamed because. I was doing this job that I thought was the most important job in the world. I worked my whole adult life to get, you know, I became a recon Marine and a force recon Marine and a tryout for this Tier one JSOC task force and get accepted. Felt so honored and privileged to be there working with the guys, these heroes that I looked up to. I got to work with these guys and, and support their, uh, you know, what I believe is one of the most important missions that I could have ever been a part of in my life in the middle of like game day, I get pulled out. And, uh, I was ashamed, man. I felt like I failed. And, and, uh, so I was dealing with all this stuff and my wife and my counselor trying to find ways to snap me out of it. They gave me a lot of medicine and it made me feel like worse. I just felt like drugged and worse. And so that's where MMA really came in because I was already, uh, I'd already been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I always joke when I speak. I say I did jiu-jitsu since I was little, but I'm I'm still little. I'm five three. So, <laughs> yeah, but I did jiu-jitsu my whole life. You know, it's, it's it started when I was five years old, and yeah. and so I, I was uh, I got in Brazilian jiu-jitsu in ninety Brazilian jiu-jitsu in ninety six, and then I was already a professional MMA fighter on the side, and never I was undefeated. So it was something I was good at. And my wife, and my counselor, were like, get on this match and train. And I'll be honest with you when I, I didn't want to, uh, because I felt like anything physical that got my heart rate up would lead me to a heart attack. That's how I felt. When I got into those, when I got into this, got into this for the first time, I felt like I found a cure because I couldn't think about Afghanistan or the things I was dealing with and grapple at the same time. You have to be focused Yeah. and uh, yeah, you gotta, I mean, so your mind has to be engaged and your body has to be engaged. So I thought, man, this is, this is it. But I took, you know, jujitsu is good for me. I love jujitsu. I'm a third degree bike belt in under Carlson Gracie. I still train every day, Wow! but you could, it, while it was good for me, a medicine could be good for you. Right. But you could abuse it.
0: Yeah, of course.
4: It, and that's what I did with jujitsu. I took it out of context. It was like, some people go to a, a bottle of alcohol, some people abuse pills. I abused that. Like I dove into that 24, seven, I was on the mats. I opened a school. Like. I had like a thousand students in, in my school. We were very successful as a business. I started fighting again. I fought in force and the main event of Bellator, and uh, I won the Legacy uh, title, world title belt. I like ended up being 18 and two as a professional fighter. I was you know pretty highly ranked and and doing really well, but I never really got better. Uh, I, what that did for me was built this kind of fake facade of success in my life, where everyone kind of told me everything I wanted to hear, and no one was telling me what I needed to hear, which I needed to get well. And then meanwhile, my family was still like falling apart. My my wife and children were still dealing with an angry dad and husband. And and I uh, was making real selfish decisions. And my wife and I's marriage was just falling apart. And many nights I'd sleep like in my in my kid's bedroom or at a friend's house or at the gym or even probably the loneliest place. I'd say me and my wife would say we've ever been is in our own beds, like our backs turned to each other. Oh, I feel wow. like our, mar- our marriage is just dead. And so it wasn't. Didn't take long for me to walk out of a marriage into relationships with other women, and ended up in an affair, and decided I was going to, you know, divorce my family. And uh, I remember sitting like my, my wife and children down, and we had this conversation. To, like, many people had this conversation before with their family, like, "Hey, it's going to be better. Like, you're not going to have to hear the fighting anymore." And uh, our kids, like, were devastated. It wasn't going to be better. Like, they were they were devastated, and we did it anyway. Sold our home. My wife and I filed for divorce. We signed two separate 12-month leases and apartments. And uh, my wife and I had two very different reactions. My, my wife uh, went into a church. And I don't mean just like to just join the church. She got connected in a church yeah. uh, with some really great people. And uh, that really just hit, like held her, held her her uh, held her up while she was going through this, while I was doing this to her. And she said she, she started praying for me. Uh, she would go there. people tell me she would go there during a the week and stand in there they show me a spot. She would stand and she collapsed crying. And, and I've asked her since, of course, like, well, who, like, how could you pray for me when I was doing this to you? And she said she would just pray like, God, let me see Chad the way you see Chad. Let me love Chad the way you love Chad. Let me forgive Chad the way you forgave Chad. That's what she would pray for me wow. while I was doing this. And uh, meanwhile, I'm like, put, took me like two days, like parties on bachelor pads, like. Friends coming over, girls come by, like I had a, a fight on Showtime in the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. Uh, so it's on Showtime. It's called Force. If you MMA fan, you're the UFC. Yeah, yeah. Force. And so it's a big fight and I, I was undefeated and a lot of attention behind it. And uh, and so that was like carrying me through this time. And I was just real focused on this fight. And, uh, and I remember going and I fought this, this is the only decision win I've ever had a knockdown drag out fight with Humberto De Leon. We like both knocked each other out, butt. it was a close fight. And, uh, I went, I ended up winning a decision and when you win a fight, like all this pressure on the camp and training and the pressure of competing is on you. And when you win, like, well, the fight's even over, you just like this weight comes off. And I remember when the judges called out this decision and my hand was raised and like just feeling this relief. And all these people were in the Toyota center, like 10,000 people there and everyone's cheering. And I I remember like in that moment thinking like Kathy's not here. Like she was always like my cheerleader. And, uh, and it just felt really weird. And I went back to my apartment by myself that night and I, uh, I was sitting in, sitting in my apartment and this, I started thinking like the fight's over. I felt like immediately, like I felt all alone and um, I, I recognized in that moment Like, I think first time I recognized a personal responsibility, like before I blamed everyone else, like my my father for my childhood, people in the military and my wife and everyone they're standing. And I kind of realized, like, wait, I'm the common denominator, like all these people, like I'm the problem. And this thought came over me that my family might be sad without me, but they would be better off. And uh, unfortunately, if you know, like that's the same hopeless thought that finds a home in the hearts of twenty plus veterans every single day. Maybe, maybe they're going to be sad without me, but they're going to be better off. And so I decided I was going to, I was going to take my life. And I was, I was pretty convinced that I was already convinced to think prior to that that I didn't want to live anymore. But I, but I wasn't going to make the decision to do it myself. And that moment, I decided I was going to do it. And 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 all my family pictures. This is really really ashamed to say, and it's just sad, but it, I think it's important to show where I was. All my family pictures were in my closet because people come over. So I didn't decorate my apartment with my family pictures. I had a yeah. closet, which is pretty disgusting. Uh, as I look back at, uh, at myself at that point, but I would sit in my closet and I closed the door and I had a Glock 22 pistol and I'd lay my family pictures on the floor. And I was like, look at them. And I'd like, I'd actually like become really emotional. And I, I, you know, put the gun to my face and, and, and I tried to build it the courage to do it. I, don't, I really don't know to this day if I had the courage to do it. But I can tell you what the thought that came into my mind was that my son, Hunter, had the only key to my apartment. He's the one that's in Afghanistan right now. And I thought either he's going to find me or he's going to open the door. And I didn't want my kid to find me that way. Wow. The, even knowing that, I still was trying to build up the courage to do it. And I called Kathy. And uh, and I guess I, I don't remember, but she says I had like this frantic – Feel about the call, and so she came to my apartment. And she came there while I was in the closet with that pistol, trying to build myself up again. And she banged on the door. She didn't knock. She banged on the door. And when when she banged on the door, I remember her yelling that it was her. And I don't know why I did this, but I hid the pistol. She would have never went in my closet. I hid the pistol under a blanket, like a little kid, like scared to get caught (laughs) or something. And and I hid the pistol. And I went to the door and I answered it. We got no argument. And she asked me a question that radically changed my life. She asked me how I could do everything that I did in the Marine Corps, like she saw me become a recon Marine and I mean, how hard it is, I mean, the attrition rate in any special operations is over 80%, right? So, I mean, she saw me do that. She saw me go to all these schools and training and get ready for deployments and the workups. It's the crazy stuff we do in the discipline took to do that. And even the MMA fights, like losing like 30 pounds of weight, cutting weight, doing all the stuff that it takes, the discipline takes to do all that. She's like, how could you do all of that? And when it comes to your family, you'll quit.
1: Yeah.
4: And, uh, and like, there's no more soul cutting word to me than to be called a quitter. And, uh, and she was absolutely right. I've been successful professionally when it came to the most important things, like being a husband, being a father, being that young 17 year old kid that raised his hand and the Marine Corps gave me a second chance at life. Like I quit in all those things, including, including my own health and my own will to live. And uh, I knew in that moment that I needed to make a change. And uh, and uh, I knew that I, I couldn't do it alone. And I couldn't do it with the people that I had surrounded myself by. And I needed to bring some, some accountability and mentorship in my life. And so.
0: That's awesome, uh, man. I mean,
4: I could could, could go into where that is, but I I guess I let you, (laughs) I just ran on tangent. tangent. No, no,
0: that's, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, (laughs) you know, fantastic story. And just, you know, it's important to share that stuff. Like a lot of the times, you know, a a lot of, like you were saying, like you were afraid to even talk about your, how your what you were going through with your guys because you thought they would make them make you look weak. Um, but those guys are probably all dealing with the same thing. And like, as guys, we don't necessarily, you know, talk about our feelings or what we're going through. But a lot of the times when we do, like, even with me, with like my men's group at church, and we all sit around and, 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 and talk and you're like, oh, this guy's struggling with the same thing I am. And it's like, that's an important part of, 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 you know, our lives.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's. And that was one of the revelations I came to it was that, that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't the only one. When I was going through that, I felt like I was the only one. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're going through dark times, if you don't, if you're not in a good community, you you definitely start believing you're alone. And that's where I was. But it started with me, you know, Kathy was going to his church. And so I said, Hey, can you, can you introduce me to some man at your church that can help hold me accountable to this? And she introduced me to a man named Steve Toth and Steve was, he's a Texas legislator. Now at the time he was, he was a small business owner. He wasn't in the military. He wasn't an MMA fighter. Uh, wasn't anything like that. It was totally, two totally different people.
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, but I met with him at a Starbucks coffee shop and he had the perfect gift to help me. And he has ADD like really bad. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, the reason it's a perfect gift, like, I, I mean bad, like if we go eat lunch, like he runs to his car, he won't walk. cause It's a waste of time. So, <laughs> yeah. And the reason it was such a gift for me, because I was so manipulative. I would have said I was so prepared to say all the right things. And, but he didn't have the patience to hear me out. Like I had literally written a, a, for the military guys listening. I wrote a five paragraph order, like operational plan of how I was going to fix my life. Yeah. And so I met Steve and I slid it over to him. I was probably like super smug, like, Hey, check this out. Like really what I wanted him to do is, was show it to Kathy. So he can let her know that I was trying. <laughs> and uh, I, didn't, I didn't really, I probably didn't really want his advice. But I slid it over to him, and he, and he put his hand on it, and he slid it back over to me without even reading it. And he told me I was going to fail. And I remember thinking, like, who is this jerk? Like, you don't even know me. <laughs> I put this, like, this thing's good, and you're telling me I'm going to fail. And he he tapped on it, that, that paper, and he said, if this doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God, I'm not going to let you waste my time, and I'm not going to waste yours. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people listening may or may not agree with where I'm going with that. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. For me, I had exhausted— Everything at that time, I had tried the pills, I had tried the counseling, I had tried MMA and jujitsu like sports and making money because I made, made a lot of money with our business and had the status and all the things that come along with that. None of those things changed my situation. And so we have a saying at mighty Oaks foundation with our veterans, if what you're doing, isn't working, then why not try something different? Yeah, It, it came from my, it came from this moment with Steve because everything I was doing wasn't working. It was time to try something different. And so I didn't know what else to do. I, I had exhausted all options at that point. So this guy, Steve's telling me, you know, I have to, you know, the next step is to, 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 discover a relationship with God. So I'm like, let's do it. And, uh, and I surrendered my life to Christ. I I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't understand it. I just knew that I had to try something radical. And I did. And, uh, beyond that decision, Steve mentored me for an entire year in biblical manhood. And what I discovered along that process was, was just so profound in my life, really not just to recover from what I dealt with, but what I had been searching for my whole life. I, I, I discovered that all these things that have happened to me in my childhood in Afghanistan and losing one of my best friends, Foster Harrington, a uh, uh, third force recon, and we served together for 10 years before he was killed. Like I remember all these things that like I kept like pointing back to of why I was the way I was being. Like all these things, bad as those things were, those things didn't lead me to be in that closet with a pistol, man what led me there were the choices I made in response to those things. And i never lost the ability to choose. And now Steve's teaching me the right choices moving forward through this model in life that I believe God created me to live. And when I made the decision to simply align my life with that model, everything radically changed for me. I found restoration in my relationships. I found hope for the first time in a very long time. And I found what I think I sought my whole life for and, and not just want, but need and I think we all need, we were created to have purpose. I found purpose. Uh, Mark Twain says it like this, one of my favorite quotes, the two most important days in a person's life are the day that they're born and the day that they find out why. Mm. Like when Steve introduced me to this life that I believe I was created to live, I found out why. And it was to share what I had discovered with others. Because like you were saying earlier, I thought I was the only one going through this, but through my healing process, I realized I wasn't, not only was I not I the only one, but 22 guys a day were actually, actually pulling that trigger and the divorce rate, in some bases, were like up to eighty percent. Like I wasn't not only not the only one, but people were worse off than me. And and I felt like I was maybe dying of cancer, and Steve gave me the cure. Like I didn't want to share it. I felt obligated to share it. Yeah. And so in that moment, like a fire was lit underneath me to share what I had discovered with others and pay it forward. And and that was the result of that was the the calling I felt on my life to start Mighty Oaks Foundation, and that's you know what I've committed my life to since.
0: That's awesome, man. And I mean, I think that's a good reminder, too, for whether like, you know, people share the same faith or people that, you know, that that do have a, that that don't um, as at least as as Christians, sometimes you can get, um, you know, especially if you've lived in it a long time, you can just kind of get caught up in the ritual of it or just like you forget that that you believe in a God that that can. that, that, that miracles actually exist and that you can turn your life around and there is a higher power you could turn to, um, you know, for power and restoration. And sometimes even as Christians, you forget, you start doing maybe like you said, like you have your map of all the stuff that, that you want to do. That's all, you know, head knowledge and good stuff and, and important things. But if you don't have that, that relationship or that spiritual connection, then the, the, the rest of it doesn't mean anything.
4: No, this is the message that I get to go to these young recruits and at, at boot camp and speak to these units before they're deploying and talk about resiliency. And uh, the military has the military talks about four pillars of resiliency, the mind, body, spirit and social So being mentally tough. Very important for a warrior being physically tough, uh, being socially connected means strong brotherhood and, and camaraderie and a spiritual peace. And I think the spiritual piece is the most overlooked because people are afraid to put an identity to what that means. Yeah. Spirituality, like uh, what's it really mean? It means you know, believing in something bigger than yourself. What's that mean? Yeah. You know, what's it mean to be spiritually strong? And so, I can't you know, as I go to the military, I'm allowed to speak on what it is. I can't tell anyone what it should be for them, but I can certainly tell people what it was for me.
1: Yeah.
4: And uh, and what it was for me in the restoration recovery and what I've seen. Uh, on the front because when I went to Afghanistan, I made I made a I'll go back for a second. I remember getting to Afghanistan and made a very deliberate choice. I was taking my family to church before. If it asked me if I was a spiritually strong, I would say, Yeah, I got the word Christian stamped on my dog tag. Yeah. But I, I didn't know what it meant, right? I, I mean, I took my family to church. I could be honest, I took my family to church like a lot of men do because their wife's gonna go and be like faithful and loyal, and all the things we want out of a, a Christian woman. <laughs> and then my kids my kids are going to Sunday school and they're gonna get discipline and all the character things they're gonna get from that and I won't have to beat them so much. Like, you know, like <laughs> everything that men want from their family, but won't really engage themselves. And so I was very surface person of faith. And I got to Afghanistan. I thought, okay, now I'm here. I have to do some hard things. And so I have to make a choice. Can I be this man of faith? It's Christian or can I be a warrior? And of course, like a young guy's going to choose to be a warrior. And I thought you had to make a decision and choose. And I think so many, especially young men in our culture today think that they can't, that Christianity and and masculinity can't coexist. And there is no bigger lie to, especially the men in this world than that. Because there I tell you for firsthand, there's no one more strong and courageous on the battlefield of Afghanistan or Iraq or, or of life than men of God now. And man, our country right now, our nation, our world needs you know, men of faith and men of God and men of principle that are stand up and, and for the things of this world that needs to be fought for. And we just don't have enough of that anyways. Yeah. Amen,
0: Amen to that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your uh Let's talk about Mighty Oaks and how, I mean, how that got started and, and the kind of work that you're doing, uh, with that foundation.
4: Yeah, it was a, uh, like I said, it was just a really clear calling and, uh, obligation that Kathy and I felt to share what we discovered with others. When we decided to start Mighty Oaks, uh, it was really a obedience to what we believed we were called to do. Uh, we were not prepared to do it. We're still bleeding. We're still bleeding ourselves. But, uh, when you have something radical like that, that happens in your life, uh, I think qualifications don't, don't stand in the way. And, uh, and so I'm so thankful that we didn't allow fear or, or, or not being qualified to do it. We, you know, there's a kind of Christian for Christian saying, God doesn't call the the qualified, He qualifies the called. And uh, (laughs) so I'm thankful for that because we certainly were not qualified, but we, we stepped out in this uh, endeavor to share what we discovered with others. And it's been so amazing. We started in 2011 Uh, Mighty Oaks has really grown. We are an organization staffed at about 60 people. And uh, we, we have four ranches in California, Ohio, Texas, and Virginia, uh, incredible ranches. The one in California, for example, is 25,000 acres, wow. about a $10 million facility. And uh, and so it's, these warriors on so active duty come with military orders. The military sends them to us on orders. Uh, the veteran community and spouses, we also serve first responders. They'll come to our program for one week intensive and uh, a peer-to-peer program led by guys who have graduated the program been discipled trained up to lead it and just really teaching them how to live the lives we were created to live and and in spite of the experiences they have and we just have some pretty radical success rates we've had 2600 graduates uh from that program we pay for everything including travel so no veterans ever paid to come to or active duty military is ever paid to come to that program wow, that's awesome and then- and then on the other side of it, the resiliency side, I go to bases and speak on resiliency, do conferences on post-traumatic stress, uh, on suicide prevention. We do marriage. We just got back from uh, Special Operations Command South and doing a marriage conference. I was in Germany speaking in Marine Forces Europe and Africa. And uh, it's just it's been an incredible experience to do that. And we give out resources, too. We've written like five books. And I think last year we reached 100,000 books or so that we've given away to our troops. Wow. That's so
0: awesome, man. That's, that's, that's really cool. So if uh, you said people are, are, are sent to the program or is it someone they could join in, sign up for too as well?
4: Yeah. So, any any military, we have lots of different military commands that send guys on orders because their yeah. guys are stru- struggling or need, uh, you know, like for example, the Marine Corps Wounded Warrior Battalion, they yeah. have guys that are wounded and struggling there, guys diagnosed with PTSD, Baboa Hospital, they'll send people in orders all the way from people who are, we have aviators who are currently flying aircraft in the military and they're maybe scared to go to a clinical program and they're like, well. This is not a clinical program. I could actually go get help, so they'll come to a program like ours. So they come in orders, and then from the veteran community, guys who are already out uh, just come as well, and then spouses uh, of those those who've served. And uh, so, if anybody's listening is interested, the programs are free. Uh, we pay for everything. Well, I say we, a grateful nation who supports Mighty Oaks pays for everything. It's pretty incredible that we have such an amazing group of of donors and then uh, we even pay for travel. So we buy, uh, we buy plane tickets for people to get into the program. And all you have to do is go on our our website, MightyOaksPrograms.org and fill an application and someone will get right to you. We do 30 programs per year. So lots of options and dates.
0: Oh, wow. That's Awesome. That's cool. So um so hopefully if anybody's listening and they're interested in joining uh go ahead and check it out. Um let's talk about your your book. Is that fairly recent, your new book? Is that new or I it looked new to me, but I could be I could have been wrong.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, last year it came out in unfair okay. advantage and that is uh, new. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been pretty exciting. General Boykin, if you're familiar with Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, he's a was commander of Delta Force and all the special operations. Uh, he, he did the forward. Oh, cool. Uh, endorsed by Alan West. In fact, I guess endorsed by the president now. I got a letter this week from the president about oh, the book. Man.
0: That's yeah. awesome.
4: <laughs> I'm gonna start carrying it around my pocket like
0: <laughs> use that yeah. as your literal <laughs> your literal Trump card. <laughs> <Yeah.
4: laughs> no, it's really cool. I got a letter in the mail from from the White House and I'm like, oh what's this? And I opened it up and there's a letter from the president about my book and service and it was really cool.
1: That is awesome
4: to get but uh yeah, he really loves uh, our, our troops, and I, I, lo- I really appreciate that from Commander-in-Chief. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the book has just been an incredible tool to help veterans who are maybe struggling to just share my journey with me that I lived in my life. Some storage from Afghanistan and different principles, biblical principles that helped me to get back on track and, and essentially be where I, where I am today. And I'm still figuring it out, too, and all in kind of this journey together. And so I wanted to share that with the others.
0: That's awesome. Uh, I wanna ask you about uh I'm sorry, our listeners can't see this, but that's in my camera shot there's a giant sword in the foreground. Oh yeah. (laughs) I wanna know about that. (laughs) It's got your name on it and everything. Okay. So
4: this this is a this is a Rudus. And so so Rudus is uh the kind of history behind a Rudus is when a Roman Roman uh slaves would fight in the arena as as gladiators they would uh they could win a series of fight or win one big fight to earn their freedom and become Roman citizens, and so when they would earn that freedom, they were not allowed to carry around a sword, so they would carry this wooden rudis around, and that was a symbol of their freedom. And so oh. when a warrior comes to Mighty Oaks and graduates, uh, that's what we give them for their graduation, right. because they we believe they came to Mighty Oaks and they 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 made a decision to fight and and uh and it's a representation of them being free from the bondage and slavery of the the things they struggle with. And that is a symbolization of their freedom that they earned oh, as warriors. Wow. That's yeah, so cool. So, yeah. So that's what, one of the things we give to our graduates and, uh, it's been a pretty special piece,
0: man. If I knew that beforehand, I would just be thinking about that sword the whole time.
4: sword. It's really cool. Cause I'll see like, we we've had some pretty high ranking guys come to mighty Oaks. Like mm. we've had Fulbright colonels and sergeant majors and you go in, uh, go in their office and visit some of them and they'll have like all this historical like memorabilia from their service in the military and this sort of be this wooden rudest that they got from mighty oaks to be above it all and it's like ah that's really cool man. Yeah.
0: That's <laughs> super cool. That gets the uh, gets the high place of honor on the mantle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so cool, man. Well if people want to find you and your and your your work you talked about the Mighty Oaks, but you know, how can they get a hold of you or or find you online?
4: Yeah, uh so mightyoaksprograms.org is our website and uh, everything you need to know about our programs. If you're interested in coming, if you want to support, that's the place to go uh, to get all that information. Uh, Easy to apply, easy to to find donate buttons. there on the homepage. Uh, Lots of videos there for resources, other books. If you're interested in books on resiliency or post-traumatic stress, we've written those books as well. You can grab those online. uh, And and buying those books helps us support to give them away uh, as well. So definitely check it out. Uh, follow me on uh, you know, I'm on all the social media platforms so definitely give me a follow keep up with me I do a lot of speaking and maybe I'm in a town you want a, a church or or event come hear me speak and meet me
0: That's awesome man and uh just just to clarify the way your last name is spelled how do you are uh, pronounced how do you pronounce
4: it uh, Rob Robichaud Okay,
0: so I said it right because I I grew up in in, in in Quebec, which yeah. I mean, that's how you would say it in French. But I've I heard like on some other interview I watched with you, somebody called you Robichaud, and I was like, that's not that can't be right. That
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, I've heard all kind of things. I don't even correct it anymore. I'm like, yeah, you got it. bingo, you got it.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, well, maybe it's like a you know like like uh you mentioned you lived in Louisiana, maybe it's like a Cajun thing where they just change changed the pronunciation or something. I don't know. I was trying. Trying to figure it out, I'd wrap my mind around it, but man, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to have you back on again.
4: Yeah, I'd love to come back on. Hey, one, one more plug is uh, yeah. the book and unfair advantage is uh, it's under contract for a movie, so oh, keep an awesome. eye out if you're listening. It's uh, probably 2020, Veterans Day, hopefully around that time. Uh, LD Entertainment made Zoo Cooper's Wife, I can only imagine they made a lot of great movies, and uh, uh and they'll be making a film, and uh, awesome. it's exciting. It's exciting and terrifying.
0: Yeah. Well, I can't time. wait to see it. Yeah. If it, let me know if there's anything I could do to help with that. Well, it's uh, is it being worked on right now?
4: Yeah, it's being worked on right now. The script, oh, awesome. was, written, the script was written by Grant Thompson who wrote uh McFarland USA. For oh, nice. Lead. Yeah. So it's a great script writer and uh, it's, it's done in there. I can't say the name of the director, but they, it looks like they have a great director lined up. So, awesome. Yeah.
0: Cool, man. All right. Well, we'll, we'll take a quick break and we'll finish out the show. Hello, gentlemen, Scofflaws. Thanks so much for being a loyal listener of the show, and your feedback and support is really what keeps us going. It means a lot to us, so sincerely, thank you again. Now, if you're a fan of the show and you want to take your support to the next level, why not support the show on Patreon? We offer all sorts of extras on there, like outtakes, extended interviews, a bonus movie podcast, and behind-the-scenes content. Better yet, we have options that start as little as a dollar a month. You pay more for that at a parking meter to go in and grab a cup of coffee at Starbucks. See what I did there? If you're interested in helping support the show, please check out patreon.com slash gentscofflaw or click the support link on the website. Again, that's patreon.com slash gentscofflaw. We look forward having you as part of our team all right um i like talking to chad he's a good guy chad I'd like to have him back on um and if you guys haven't seen his i am second interview it's really it's really powerful you'll watch it uh we'll put a link in the show new show notes.
2: show show notes <laughs> <newts>. and
0: uh <laughs> check it out uh just check uh, the the link in the description and uh we'll put to all Link to all the things he was talking about in there. Um uh Ladies Scofflaw. Yes. You know what time it is? No. It's time to announce the winner of our this month's giveaway, which is a big shave west uh themed giveaway. So oh, yeah. okay. the Big Shave West Southwest. Um all right, so let's get a little drum roll.
3: Oh, you got one. Sorry, that's all right. <laughs>
0: You—that's the spirit. You can you can add to it. Oh, all right. And the winner is Adam the Revelator. Yay! On Instagram, Adam, Yay. you won a package of uh, of Phoenix shaving uh, Cavendish soap and aftershave, which smells like pipe tobacco. Nice. Which is nice. Cavendish
2: and, is a great. That, that is a great. That scent. Yeah.
0: I think Lady Scuffle likes a Cavendish one.
3: You would know. He has he just has me try them all. I say yes. <laughs> kind of. I yes. I, I yes, have, kind
2: gotten, of. no, I don't like anytime that. Anytime I wear anything from from uh, you know uh, Phoenix shaving, I just like I get the compliments. Yep. I get all the compliments. People yeah, don't even know what I'm wearing and I get the compliments.
3: I don't think there's any that I haven't liked before. Yeah. Yeah. It's just good and even better.
0: <laughs> that's that's good. That's
2: Douglas that's knows the what the target doing. audience. Mm-hmm. You wanna
0: use the Phoenix shaving. Uh, to impress the Phoenix ladies. Uh, I don't know where that comes from. Um, all right. So, Adam, uh, keep a lookout for us uh, DMing you uh, to get your info so we can send that to you. Also, we're sending out a koozie, a little punk pin, some stickers, a bunch of other stuff we've got. Um, so uh, make sure to enjoy that. Use that koozie. Put some simpler times in it. Um, send us a picture um also how else can people support this show I'll let Lady Scofflaw take this on
3: through Patreon That's true yeah
0: yep. people can support us through Patreon if you wanna you know get some extras and help support the show um go ahead go there listen to our other movie podcast and our extras that we post and uh Yeah, we need some other people that aren't just our parents on
2: there. Yeah, that would be nice. Yum. (laughs) And
0: where else can people support the show, Donovan?
2: Well, they can buy our merchandise. They can go to our website and buy our merchandise. Did you already mention that?
3: Have you been paying attention? You you talked about a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) You talked about a lot of swagger here. That's why I got confused. Wow. My
2: lawyer over here is going to explain why I wasn't paying attention. Um, You can go to GentlemanScottFly.com. You can buy the merch. um, And uh, as far as anything else, yeah, check out our uh, affiliates. Check out Rock. Check out Phoenix Shaving. Yeah. They're very important to us. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, just uh, keep listening. We might have download someone, us subscribe.
3: Yeah. Also Venmo.
2: Also Venmo. <laughs> that too. You PayPal. can Venmo us cash, money.
0: Yeah. check to uh, uh, gentleman's cough law P.O. Box fifty three at Montrose, yeah, California. Is that real? Um, huh. <laughs> and, yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, and we, you know, we might be doing some more Go Rock challenges here in the future. If you want to yeah, join us I, on some of I them was in California, just, I was
2: just telling somebody last night. I was like, I was, you know, I've been, I've been on this diet and uh but i haven't been working out and, oh the carnivore uh, diet The right? carnivore diet and i was like you know what it's great like i'm dropping weight but i can tell i'm getting out of shape and uh i was like i think it's a time for another go rock
0: you gotta use all that mm-hmm. protein while you're on that dude. It, 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 it's dude. true you lift some heavy stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. I was I was
2: I was you know, I, I was like I was like I'm not going to overdo it. I'm just going to do I'm just going to do the carnivore diet and then now I'm realizing I probably should have been working out while I was doing it, but, you know. All there's right. there's always time for that in the and future. Maybe time- I'll do carnivore again like right before the go ruck, maybe like a month before the go ruck,
0: or just do it while doing go ruck and just carry nothing but beef jerky.
2: That's the you know what that might be the way to go. Well, although eh, I don't know, we can analyze, we can break that down. But you know, you and I wait. Are you signed up for a heavy in the fall? I am
0: for well. I guess it's technically winter. It's like November. Is that fall? Maybe I'll maybe
2: I'll sign up for that heavy because wait, where, where's well, it Lady Scuffle
0: is going to sign up too? No, oh,
2: yeah, you're going to sign up for oh, a yeah? light oh that'd be he's
0: great he's just
3: saying thanks
2: <laughs> you heard it here first ladies and
0: gentlemen <laughs> yeah, yeah. ladies cough law
2: start signing the petition <laughs> um no but uh you know what i'll probably sign up for that heavy because uh i think that's gonna be i think that's gonna be what i what i work towards that's gonna yeah. be my cap off for the year it's awesome heavy
3: how what's the difference between heavy and tough again
2: 20 uh 12 hours wow yeah so so Tough is 12 hours and heavy is 24.
3: Double. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap.
2: Yeah, it's double. double. More mm-hmm. mileage, more hours. And there's also
0: kind of a set PT standard that you're supposed to make in the beginning. Oh yeah! Oh
2: my gosh! I'm really gonna have to.
0: Some of this. it involves <laughs> ring rows, uh, ring pull-ups.
2: Ooh, that's not good Donovan's for me. But they say that most places don't do that. They just do pull-up. But and if you gotta be You can, be you can do assisted. So, but oh, well, still, can, you then can then take it back. For for it. You may as well just quit.
3: <laughs> you can take it back if you do it in this podcast now. But after yeah. this podcast, I'm not gonna it's take it commitment. back.
2: I'm gonna, I'm All gonna right. commit oh, to this. Although, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna commit to this, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get myself into shape. It's gonna go Good go out you. there like that. Cue the training montage. <laughs> 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 you guys had two different training montages. I had to, the I had, had the choose. royalty <laughs> free version we use on all of
0: our. Oh, girls sorry. Rides. Yeah.
3: <laughs> my bad.
2: That's all right.
0: No one's. Uh, you know, Rocky's estate is not going to. Uh, no. getting, uh, hopefully, hopefully not. I don't no. think. I don't think Sly's a listener of podcasts. At least not our podcast.
2: He's like, hey, why are you guys using my? Theme song, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's it's my other inner monologue. <laughs> 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 hey, Sylvester hey, Stallone. And... <laughs> that's your drunk inner monologue. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little messy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, lady scofflaw, you are a lady and a scofflaw. Oh, thanks, my friend.
3: Thank you very much. Ooh, that Don-
0: was a twist. Donovan, mm. you are a gentleman and a scofflaw, my friend. Thank you. All right, you guys have a great week. This has been the Gentleman's Scofflaw Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Visit us on the interwebs at gentlemanscofflaw.com.
2: Captain says his ass on the river. We ain't getting home if we don't break through. So damn cold, I can't help but shiver. Rise
1: and shine, we got
2: work to do. Hey!